Recently, I was browsing the internet to decipher the most popular New Year's resolutions. I reviewed lists from 2007 up to the present. Did you know that for four of the last five years, the number one New Year's resolution has been lose weight? Not a big surprise. The one exception was in 2009. That year, the top New Year's resolution was save money. Yeah. Here are some other popular New Year's resolutions. Fall in love. Read more. Stop biting my nails. That would be a good one. Get a tattoo. Probably depends on what it is. Get organized. Dress better. Learn Spanish. Read the Bible. Travel. Get a better job. That's probably on some of your lists. Bungee jump. Exercise more. Get enough sleep. Quit smoking. Get married. Drink more water. That's one you might be able to achieve in this new year. Drink more water. Learn guitar and try something new. And this morning, I want to add one more resolution to the list. Now, I know that some of you aren't even into New Year's resolutions. You know, there are a lot of folks who shy away from them. I mean, they refuse to make promises that chances are they're not likely to keep. But I have a suggestion for you this morning that you should really consider. It's not as difficult as learning Spanish or getting a better job. That can be tough. It's not as painful as quit smoking or exercise more or something you might regret like get a tattoo. It's not as expensive as travel or get married or dress better. And it's not as risky as falling in love or bungee jumping. In fact, if you embrace my New Year's resolution, it'll help you find a better job and quit smoking. It'll definitely help you stay married. It'll take some of the risk out of falling in love. And it's as applicable wherever you travel, whether you learn Spanish or not, because it can be done in every language. In fact, it is certainly something you'll want to do while bungee jumping. Here's my suggestion for 2012's number one New Year's resolution, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. So much in your life will change if you learn to practice the art of ceaseless prayer. You see, Paul knew his friends in Thessalonica, they had become targets for persecution. They were new Christians fighting the good fight of faith. The one tool they needed to quickly cultivate was ceaseless prayer. Though our text this morning is short, just three words, nevertheless, it is strategic. Verse 17 is the foundation to everything else that might be on your radar for this coming new year. Whatever your dreams and ambitions, these three words will play a deciding factor. Pray without ceasing. Paul's instructions here in verse 17 help us in three ways. First, it teaches us how to define prayer. Second, it assists us in developing our priorities. 
And then third, it enables us to detour around certain pitfalls. You see, Paul's simple three-word command helps us define prayer and develop priorities and detour pitfalls. This new year is going to bring blessing and new strength and new wisdom and new opportunities and new victories to your life if you learn to pray without ceasing. Let's take a closer look this morning at Paul's New Year's resolution. First, this short, short exhortation helps us to define prayer. You see, obviously, God wouldn't command us to do something that it was impossible for us to do. Thus, prayer has to be something that I can do ceaselessly. You see, if prayer was simply coming to church, I, I can't do that ceaselessly. I can't spend 24-7 at church. i got a, other things to do in my life. If prayer is bowing my head and closing my eyes, I can't do that cease. What if I'm in the car? That could be dangerous. If prayer is only about verbalizing to God, then what about the other communications that I'm supposed to carry on with the people in my life? If prayer was just about a conscious connection, what happens when I'm asleep? Or I'm forced to concentrate on another task? You see, if position and posture and articulation and concentration is the essence of prayer, then there's no way for any of us to pray without ceasing. Obviously, prayer must be more. Bible teacher Alexander McLaren, he writes this, For if we are told to do a thing uninterruptedly, it must be something that can run unbroken through all the varieties of our legitimate duties and necessary occupations. You see, this was the mistake made by the monastics in church history. Sincere Christians would read this verse, and they would take it literally, and they would think that the only way for them to fulfill it would be to retreat to the desert or to go off into the wilderness. The monks would forfeit marriage and children and normal social interactions. They would retreat to the monastery to cut themselves off from everyday life, to devote all of their time and effort to this activity of prayer. Understand, the monks wanted to turn prayer into a life. But the intention behind this verse is just the opposite. God wants us to turn our lives into a prayer. There's a difference. When Paul says pray without ceasing, he's not suggesting that we quit our jobs or ignore our families or leave the world behind or move to a cloister where we can spend every waking second on our knees. Oh no. God wants us to fulfill our responsibilities. He wants us to live our lives. What verse 17 is teaching us is that we need to create an attitude of prayer that permeates all of our lives. God wants us to live in a restful awareness of His presence 24-7, 365 days a year. While driving your car, or mowing the grass, or conducting business, or on the phone with your friends, or joking around with your buddies, you can still be praying to God. You can pray wherever you are, whatever you're doing. My, oh my, you can even pray in the shower. Don't worry, God's seen you in the buff before. You can pray anywhere. Wherever, whatever, however you're doing it, by faith, 
we can maintain this continual communion with our Heavenly Father. Years ago, we were on our way home one night. We were cruising down the interstate when I asked my family to join me in prayer for our church. At that moment, we were kicking off a new initiative here at Calvary Chapel, and I was thinking about the people that were attending that first meeting. Well, as we were driving around the freeway, I, I, I led my family in prayer. And I'll never forget it. When I said amen, Zach, who was about, oh, six or seven at the time, as soon as I said amen, I'll never forget, he, he leaned over the front seat of the car, and he looked up at me, and he said, Dad, you weren't closing your eyes, were you? I assured him that my eyes had been wide open. But Zach was learning what a lot of adults have yet to learn. That you don't have to close your eyes to pray. It reminds me of the three theologians. They were discussing the proper posture for prayer. One of the scholars said that the key was in the hands. The way you held them together and pointed them upward. This was a symbol of unity and devotion. Well, the second man said, no, the knees were the key. Bowing expresses humility. The third theologian, he insisted that neither folding the hands or bowing the knees was enough, that real prayer only occurs when you're flat on your face, just lying prostrate before the Lord. Well, there was a fourth man in the room. He was a telephone repairman, and he had been listening to the conversation carrying on by these theologians. And he finally couldn't resist. He, he had another opinion, and so he told these three distinguished theologians that they were all wrong, he explained to them, he said, the most powerful prayer I ever prayed was dangling upside down by my heels from a power pole suspended 40 feet above the ground. Now I'm sure if you're looking for a posture for prayer that would provoke a powerful, passionate prayer, that would be it. But no matter what posture you assume, what position you find yourself in, what activity you're involved with at the time, even in the midst of whatever you're in the middle of, you can still carry on a quiet conversation with God. What a blessing. Thomas Kelly writes this, On one level, we can be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs. But deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. I love that idea. A gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. Bible commentator Matthew Henry, he once wrote, Prayer is the key of the morning, and it is the bolt of the evening. In other words, we should both begin our day and end our day in prayer. But you see, Paul takes it even further than that. Don't just make prayer the bookends of your day. Learn to pray throughout the day. Learn to spend the whole day in communion with God. Spend all your day on the edge of prayer. In Psalm 119, the psalmist cries out to God, Seven times a day I praise you. We're told in Daniel 6 that the prophet Daniel prayed three times a day, at morning, at noon, and at night. Sort of like Dr. Pepper at 10, 2, and 4. Paul's words... Pray without ceasing is an encouragement to us to never drift far from God. Never go offline. Log on to God and keep that constant connection. Even when you're doing other stuff, maintain that Godward attitude. 
I've heard it said, the heart may rise to the throne of grace in inward prayer when the hands are busy with the duties of life. You see, our lives are like a river. There are places on the river that contain rocks and rapids. There are other spots that are quiet pools and eddies. But throughout the river, there is this current flowing downstream. In some places, the current is strong and it sweeps you off your feet. At other places, you can barely feel the current. But you go anywhere on that river and you'll find the constant current. And you see, prayer is like the current of our lives. It's like the river. There are moments when you find yourself on your knees in strong, concentrated prayer. But there are other times when you're busy at work or there's people around you and they don't even know you're praying. Yet underneath the activity of your life, there is this attitude, this heart posture of praise and thanksgiving and communication to God. These three words here in verse 17 teach us that the essence of prayer isn't a place or a posture or words. No, real unbroken prayer is a spiritual stream of feeling and thought and attitude and faith that flows from my heart to God's heart. It's like taking a walk with your wife. The two of you, you're discussing your day. You're even speaking to the people you pass along the path. You're engaged in sightseeing perhaps. But all the while, the two of you are still holding each other's hand. This is what ceaseless prayer is like. It's like walking through the day holding God's hand. Albert Day once wrote, The function of prayer is to set God at the center of attention. A person who really prays is a God-centered person. One of my commentaries translates this phrase, pray without ceasing, as pray without intermission. I like that. You know, an intermission is a break in the action. It's an interruption. It's a diversion from the main attraction. At the intermission, people get up from their seats. They wander around the aisles. They go out into the corridors for refreshment. They're distracted from the big show. You see, a prayerful heart never takes an intermission from God. There's never a break or a disconnect in the communication between my heart and God's heart. Ceaseless prayer is seamless prayer. It's realizing that you can pray to God and never have to say amen. Wow. You see, Paul's words, pray without ceasing, teach me how to define prayer. But they also assist me in developing priorities for my life. You don't maintain this kind of communion with God without making Him your top priority. And reworking and rearranging our priorities can be a difficult chore. I mean, this was why marriage was such a tough adjustment for me. Not that I didn't love my wife. I was just an independent, stubborn, single, young buck. <laughs> well, that's just what I was. And that's why I struggled so much when we first got married. It wasn't that I didn't want Kathy to know where I was, where I was and where I was going and when I planned to be home. I, I didn't mind informing her about all those things. I accepted the accountability. I wasn't running from that. I just wasn't used to reporting my whereabouts. 
I was used to doing whatever I pleased, whenever I pleased. The idea of considering someone else in my comings and goings just didn't come naturally to me. But oh boy, after 31 years of this, I've been domesticated, my friend. I have been house trained. I am a house trained man. Today, I seldom make plans. I don't get up and go to the bathroom without consulting and informing my wife. Honey, I'll be back in a minute. She knows where I am and what I'm doing 99% of the time. You see, I've learned to see myself as one half of a couple rather than as a solitary individual. And in a sense, this is the same attitude behind ceaseless prayer. It's learning to see me and God as a couple rather than us as individuals. Prayer is my willingness to be constantly accountable to God. The attitude of prayer doesn't resent that accountability. In fact, it relishes the intimacy. A prayerful person wants God to know everything that's going on in their life. I want God to know where I'm at and when I'll be home. I desire for Him to be a part of what I'm doing and thinking at all times. It's a full disclosure. Nolan Ryan, he pitched for 27 seasons in the big leagues. He recorded 324 wins, 5,714 career strikeouts, more than anyone else in history. Nolan also pitched a record seven no-hit games and was elected to Baseball's Hall of Fame the first year he was eligible by an almost unanimous vote. But his wife, Ruth, she has a different perspective on his storied career. In her book, Covering Home, Ruth Ryan writes this. It probably happened the first time on the high school baseball diamond in Alvin, Texas in the mid-1960s. Then it happened repeatedly for three decades after that. Inevitably, sometime during the game, Nolan would pop up out of the dugout and scan the stands behind home plate looking for me. He would find my face and grin at me, maybe snapping his head up in a quick nod as if to say, there you are, and I'm glad. I'd wave and flash him a smile, and then he'd duck under the roof and turn back to the game. And I love how Ruth Ryan concludes her thoughts. It was a simple moment never noted in the record books or career summaries, but of all the moments in all the games, it was the one most important to me. You see, when two people love each other, they're conscious of each other's presence. They're thinking about each other throughout the day. They, they even send each other little flashes of recognition, little, you know, bits of communication to each other that they only, only they recognize. And they send these things even while they're in the midst of unrelated tasks. In short, their relationship transcends all their other priorities. And this is why if you love God, even during the game of life, you're going to pop your head up from the dugout from time to time to seek His face, to let Him know you're thinking about Him, to even catch a fleeting glimpse of His glory. Ceaseless prayer is what this is about. It lets God know how important He is to me. You see, there may have been a time when constant availability, constant accessibility was viewed as an invasion of our privacy, but no longer. 
I've seen you. I've watched all you guys. How connected you are. I mean, the moment you walk through those doors, you're still on your cell phone. You know, you're calling, you're texting. You're re- Some of you right now are pretending that you're on your little Bible phone, but you're really texting somebody <laughs> nearby. I know you. I mean, you're connected. We're all connected. The other night, my precious wife, she's laying in bed with her iPhone there. She's playing words with friends. And get this, by her own admission, she was playing 10 different games with 10 different friends, carrying on 10 different chats while she was doing How do you do that all at the same time? But she was successful. She was connected, that's for sure. People live their lives today tethered to technology. That's why this concept of ceaseless prayer, it should be so appealing to us that we can stay tethered to God all throughout the day, that we can stay connected. I mean, we're so used to multitasking online. I mean, we've got 40 programs opened on the same screen. Why not keep a window always open to God? Why not? As we do our business or conduct our families or enjoy our leisure or handle our chores, let's not forget that we're also online with God. Once there was a little girl, she was familiar with long-distance cellular communication, and she was asked to define prayer. She said, prayer is calls made at night and on Sundays when the rates are lowest. Boy, I hope that's not the only time you pray. At night and on Sundays when the rates are lowest. I hope you pray every day, all throughout the day, even in the peak hours. You know, when an airplane cockpit, an airplane crashes, the investigators, they immediately, they look for that black box. The cockpit voice recorder. That's what they look for. That usually reveals the reasons for the crash. Well, let me ask you a question. If you died today and your black box was recovered and examined, what would the cockpit thought recorder reveal about your life? Do you worship God just on Sundays and then not give Him a second thought all throughout the rest of the week? Or do you pray without ceasing? In essence, is God the top priority in your life? Again, McLaren writes, into all our daily duties... However absorbing, however secular, however small, however irritating they may be, however monotonous into all our daily duties, it is possible to bring Christ. This honors our Lord. You know, when Jacob saw the ladder extending from heaven to earth, he saw angels ascending and descending on this ladder. Well, in John chapter 1, we learn that Jacob's ladder was a type of Christ. That Jesus is the ladder between God and man. But the point of the vision is not just to say to us that that we have one transport to heaven, that there's this one ladder and we have one opportunity to, to get to God. No, it's not that at all. Jacob saw angels ascending and descending on that ladder. The point of the vision was that God's messengers are always coming and going. And we can always come and go through Jesus Christ. We can have that ascending and descending experience with God. We can have that constant communication with God. Through Jesus, we can ascend and descend. We can go back and forth to heaven in communication with our Father. You see, prayer gives us wings. 
It enables us to rise to the throne of grace to find the help we need in time of need. But then it gives us wings to dive back down into the muck and mire of our lives to do the work of God with His power and with His strength. These three words, pray without ceasing, not only teach us to define prayer and assist us in developing priorities, but they also enable us to detour a lot of pitfalls. You know, the Greek word that gets translated without ceasing is a word that's rendered elsewhere as a hacking cough. When your body detects a foreign object clogging its airway, it'll want to gag it loose. You'll cough. That, <coughs> that cleans out the ductwork. Though coughs are loud, they're healthy, and they're needed, and they're good. Well, the ceaseless prayer that Paul is discussing here is a lot like a recurring cough. All throughout the day, you should be praying and just coughing up obstacles. Feel a little fear coming on? <coughs> oh, Lord, give me strength. Hit a snag in the road and just cough up. Lord, help me overcome this. Run across a perplexing problem? <coughs> I need wisdom, Lord. Hear that a friend is sick? Cough up a prayer. Lord, please heal Bill. It's just these constant coughs. Sometimes prayer is nothing but a short, spontaneous soul cough. I like to call them eruptions of the heart. Your spirit just coughs up the doubt and the fear and the discouragement and the pride and the anger and keeps faith flowing through your life. These soul coughs clear out the spiritual irritations. If you get into the habit of constantly coughing up these prayers to God, it will detour you around a lot of potential pitfalls. You see, constant references to God in our thinking, ceaseless contact with God, continual access to God, it only serves to remind us of God's sovereignty over our lives and His presence in our lives and His greatness and His wisdom and His purposes. You see, a commitment to ceaseless prayer keeps drawing us back to God. It keeps pointing us heavenward and away from the dangers that surround us. I'll never forget the night my son Nick, he taught me a lesson in prayer. We were at Little League football practice, and as one of the distinguished coaches on the team, my job was to make sure the kids ran their wind sprints at the end of practice. That's how important I was to the team. I was in charge of wind sprints. Well, nobody in their right mind likes to run wind sprints, and so I decided to spice up the hated chore. I had each kid sprint the 30 yards, and then as they were streaking into the end zone for the touchdown, when they crossed the goal line, they could do their favorite touchdown dance. Well, most of these kids would never score a touchdown, but they all had a touchdown dance in mind. That night we saw the dirty bird and the crazy chicken. And I don't know what else we saw. It was crazy. But then it came Nick's turn. And I'll never forget it. Nick sprinted those 30 yards. He crossed the goal line. And then he dropped to one knee in prayer. That was his touchdown celebration. He thanked the Lord in prayer. My son was Tebowing before anybody knew about Tim Tebow. Amazing. And once again I thought, wow, he's taken after his mama again. 
Here Nick was, in the middle of football practice, no less. We're having this crazy time. And he's got the Lord on his mind. I think this is what Paul meant when he wrote, pray without ceasing. Live in this awareness of God. Never drift too far away. You see, the person who maintains this attitude is going to avoid a lot of pitfalls. They'll avoid distractions and resist temptation if God is ever on their mind. I mean, ceaseless prayer is the best deterrent I know to making bad choices. I mean, if you've got a grip on God, how can you then turn loose and get a grip on sin with the same hand? Think of it this way. If you're in the middle of a serious conversation with God, you're not going to be inclined to reach over and pick up a Playboy magazine. Well, excuse me, God, I want to look at some naked ladies now. That's not going to happen. I mean, if you're constantly talking to God... If he's got your attention, then the opportunities for you to sin will be less apparent and less pressing. If I'm in the middle of a continual conversation with God, there are places that I just won't go. Some things I just won't do. Some activities I just won't get involved in. Ceaseless prayer is a tremendous protection against temptation. Listen carefully to the words of C.S. Lewis. He writes this, He says, the moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day, they rush at you like wild animals. And your first job each morning consists in shoving it all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. See, Lewis was talking about morning prayer, but let me suggest those same wild animals, they don't just show up in the morning. They prowl around all day long. Selfish thoughts and self-centered desires can rush in at any moment, and this is why we need to pray without ceasing. Don't just listen to the other voice in the morning. Stay tuned to God all day long. Never relinquish His point of view. Let that other larger, stronger, quieter life continue to flow through. Verse 17 is just three words, but it's part of a continual train of thought here. Paul adds in verse 18, he says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice this, comprehensive thanks and ceaseless prayer go hand in hand. They're God's will for you, Paul said. He understands their importance in the life of every believer. You know, anyone who's had any experience on the battlefield will agree that victory is often determined by the effectiveness of our communications. The key to success in the trenches is the ability to stay connected to headquarters. And the same is true in the spiritual battle. This is why Paul encourages us to pray without ceasing. Many years ago, Microsoft magnate Bill Gates, he had an email address, just like any other person. That is, until the New Yorker magazine mischievously published his email address, Bill's inbox was suddenly swamped. As a result, Bill Gates started limiting his email access. You know, even with today's technology, humans are still limited to the number of communiques that they can process at any one time. I'm sure there's even a limit to the number of games my wife can carry on on that little iPhone of hers. Maybe. There are restraints to human capacity. But here's the good news. 
God has no such limitations. He can process billions and billions of prayer mails simultaneously from hearts all around the globe. It might be a challenge for us to pray to God without ceasing, but it's never a stretch for God to abide with us without ceasing. He is able. A 17th century monk named Brother Lawrence was a mere cook there in the monastery, but he cultivated this extraordinary sense of God's presence. In his book, The Practice of the Presence of God, he writes this, It isn't necessary that we stay in church in order to remain in God's presence. We can make our heart a chapel where we can go any time to talk to God privately. These conversations can be so loving and gentle, and anyone can have them. And then Brother Lawrence concludes, So why not begin? God may be waiting for us to take the first step. Why not begin? Anytime, anywhere, in the midst of any activity, you can lift up your heart to God. And commune with Him. Make it your goal, not only to climb Jacob's ladder, but to spend all day long, every day, ascending and descending back and forth to the throne of God. I hope you'll adopt at least one New Year's resolution for 2012. And pray without ceasing. Let's all cultivate a life that never has to say amen. Amen? Okay.